1: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, February 19th, 2021. Thank you for joining us, and I hope everyone is in a good mood because I sure am today. Uh, got off work a little early on Wednesday night. So that's kind of started my day off on Thursday off on a good note. Got home, uh, enjoyed the uh, little R&R, a little rest and relaxation before throwing together a few podcast uh, interviews and uh, recordings on Thursday. And now here we are. Here we are with Friday's show. And I know uh, for a lot of people out there with our current format, our Monday, Wednesday, Friday format, a lot of people look forward to Fridays. Each of our three days is obviously d- different. It's a different-based format. Uh, Mondays is just me rambling about sports, uh, current events, and trust me, there's a lot of news that's happened in the past few days that we're going to get to on Monday. Uh, I save kind of all that stuff for at that time. Wednesday, I share a little bit of that stuff with my good friend Bill Barnes, the retired police officer who uh, we were fortunate enough to, to uh, uh, catch up with Bill as he was down in Mexico for a few days. And man, that's how dedicated he is to our podcast. He, he recorded with me from another country, and we got an episode out on Wednesday. But today is Friday, and we have a very special guest. I say that every Friday, and I truly mean it. But, but today, uh, it's a tremendous honor for me to have uh, Mr. John Lee Sr. on the program. Uh, John Lee Sr., Uh, has been a member of uh, Care Youth League a long time, Uh, been around since I think the 50s, Uh, has been a coach, a leader, a teacher, uh, just a a big mentor in Care Youth League. He has three sons, John Jr., Bill, and Ken, who um, have each been on this program at one point. Uh, They are a lot of fun to talk to. Great guys, very competitive guys. Uh, all three real Hondo Prep graduates, all doing great things in their line of work now as leaders. And I think that uh, has a to, lot to do with their upbringing. And uh, you're going to hear today from a very, very special person, just uh, John Lee Senior, just an incredible man that a lot of our Care Youth League Rio Hondo Prep listeners will will greatly enjoy today. I promise you that. Um, someone who is going to share a ton of stories. I mean, a lot of stories. The first few, uh, we'll say first 30 minutes is kind of me and Mr. Lee catching up kind of on his story. He was uh, born in Tennessee. He kind of found his way uh, coming out to California with his family, uh, playing uh, in in Boys Christian League and and participating uh, as a high school, even as a high schooler, I should say, before there was really a real hondo prep and then uh, continuing his volunteer work. Uh, in the program, and then becoming a teacher. It's a great story. You guys are going to love it. And then, of course, uh, the second half, we we talk a little bit, or second third, I should say, we talk a little bit about his boys and his family and just kind of what it's been like being a grandfather and seeing his boys grow up. And then probably the last third, I'll say, has a lot to do with just random stories and memories from summer trips, from uh, some more stories about his boys, which I found rather uh, entertaining. Just a lot of great memories. We could have talked even longer. As it was, we went about an hour 45. And so today is a rather long show, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's Friday. Let's have a great long-form interview with someone. If you guys need to break this up over a couple of days, by all means, do so. But uh, even if you're not affiliated with Care Youth League or Rio Hondo Prep, I guarantee you will find this entertaining. Uh, you'll hear some incredible stories. Um, Mr. Lee's voice comes in very clear on this podcast. Mine, however, as I mentioned on Wednesday, uh, I I have messed up (laughs) the audio a time or two here on this podcast. And I've, I had a good streak going where the audio was really good. I have some good equipment, uh, some good microphones that were actually, uh, uh, we'll say, uh, assisted to me by uh, Ken Lee, one of the Lee boys. And, um, you know, uh, I just, I had the lens cap on. What can I say? Something along those lines. And so my audio sounds terrible in the Zoom. I do apologize. Ken tried to clean it up for me a little bit. But the main uh, thing is, the main event, Mr. John Lee Sr., he comes in loud and clear. So that is the important part. Uh, you might have to, uh, you know, wince a little bit to, to listen to my questions and such. But he comes in loud, loud and clear, and it's really great uh, hearing his voice. And John Lee Sr. has had just a tremendous impact on so many young men who are all grown up now, not just his three sons, but again, those are, uh, those are three people that he's going to talk a lot about today. And it's rather entertaining. Like I said, uh, he picks on them a little bit, which I'm a big fan of. He, he t- talks about their strengths and their weaknesses, and, uh, it's, it's just so much fun to hear. So I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I mentioned the audio. Oh, today. Yeah. Uh, I kind of skipped over this already, but today. Is the 200th episode of the Get Home Safe podcast the 200th? We we try to have big uh, big shows for our our uh, our 100th or 200th episode, our milestone shows. We try to have very important people on. So I want you guys to be aware that that is the type of person we have on here today. We couldn't we could have had just anybody, we, but we chose to have Mr. John Lee Senior on our 200th episode, a big event here at the Get Home Safe podcast. And again, whether it was the very beginning of this thing where it was just me me rambling for 20 minutes into my phone or me having a Saturday special edition of the podcast uh, whatever it was back when we used to do shows five days a week during the lockdown the heat the you know the the March to August uh, it, it's been a blessing to me it's been a great opportunity to share memories and stories and hear from people that I grew up with. Also people that I've crossed paths with in my professional career. And and sometimes just, just having a conversation with friends. I mean, that is what this podcast is about. It is, we call it get home safe because I was, I, I was, and still am a Lyft and Uber driver. And so I'm always trying to get people home safe, right? Whether you're out, uh, out drinking with friends or you're out uh, at a dinner or you just need to ride somewhere hey uber and Lyft is here to to get people home safe right and and mom and dad always said that to all of us right when we went out to go ride our bikes or something or go up to seven eleven to get some uh, donuts or whatever it was always hey get home safe so that's kind of where The name came from, and and I have a background in baseball. I'm a big, uh, or was at one point, really into baseball umpiring, and I've stepped away from it a little bit, but uh, baseball's been a big part of my life, so that is kind of how this uh, podcast came together. The title, uh, everything all together, uh, everything kind of just happened over time, and I could not feel more blessed uh, in seeing how many people listen to the podcast uh, on a regular basis, and even if it's not that day that it's released, the beauty of podcasts is that the episodes are there forever. You can go back and listen, and it's really cool to see uh, which people get a lot of plays. Right, so many plays. A uh, Bill Lee, uh, the middle son of the Lee boys. He he had a a long run where he was the number one, uh, the most played episode. And, and I know the co- the competitiveness in his brothers. You know they wanted to get those numbers up uh, too. So we might have to have each of each of them back on the podcast soon to do a new episode and kind of just catch up and, and uh, what have you. So. Uh, Those are just some of the little insights into the Get Home Safe podcast. And again, welcome. If you're new to the program, appreciate you giving us a try and giving us a listen. You can follow us uh, pretty much anywhere, wherever podcasts are listened to. We have episodes out Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And on Fridays, I generally talk to a new guest. Um, We've had some repeat uh, visitors, if you will, but it's a lot of people from Carry Youth League, from Rio Hondo Prep, a lot of referees, umpires, guys that I've crossed paths with throughout my career. And basically, on Fridays, we just want to talk about someone's journey and kind of everything that they've gone through in their life, and just kind of, you know, go down memory lane, catch up, just just like we're sitting around chatting and sitting on a couch. It's just it's been fun, and we're gonna do that again today. Okay, we're gonna get straight to the interview with Mr. Lee. Hope you enjoy it. Again, I apologize for my audio. He, uh, it is what it is. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe down the road we'll uh, we'll have another interview with Mr. Lee, and I can clean it up, if you will. Uh, but anyway, I got to mention Mr. John Lee. Uh, he was when I was in third, fourth, and fifth grade. I played on this team called the Gators, and we had fierce rivalries to uh with this team uh the Atlantic Pirates they were royal blue and gold we were light blue and white um we were uh in from Glendora San Dimas uh their players were Duarte Monrovia guys a very intense rivalry I'm 36 years old and I still remember almost every time we played those guys back in the day and Mr. Lee was the coach he's he he's he's the person I think Anyone who's gone through the organization and knows of the Atlantic Pirates, he's got to be the first person they think of. I mean, he's the George Hallis of uh, the Atlantic Pirates, right? Uh, uh, who, who else? Uh, v- the Vince Lombardi, the Paul Brown of the, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Well, we don't want to say Cleveland Browns. They're not very good. But anyway, you know what I mean? You get, my, you get, you get the idea. Uh, he's, uh, he's been there forever. Um, I know the team names are different at Care Youth League now, but uh, Mr. Lee will always be. Uh, The Atlantic Pirate. And I mean, and I mean that in the uh, most respectful way possible. So Mr. Lee, thank you for all the intense years of competition where I just wanted to beat you so bad. I wanted to beat your team. Uh, I won some, I lost some, but it's those competitions that I remember as a young man, even as a third, fourth and fifth grader that really helped uh, shape uh, my life down the road and just uh, thank you for all you did okay you guys are gonna hear all all these different stories and how mr. Lee helped me pass all these math classes too well you guys will hear that in in the in the interview so let's get right to it but a special introduction for the interview all three of the Lee boys they are going to uh, have a special message to their dad. you will also hear this th- this message these messages in the interview itself but I thought it was fitting that that we'd hear it before. Mr. Lee's interview, just so those of you who don't know Mr. Lee can kind of get a feel for the type of man he is, as you hear from uh, each one of his sons, John Jr., Bill, and Ken. So you will hear this now, right before the interview with Mr. Lee. And then uh, about halfway through, you will also hear uh, Mr. Lee reacting to uh, the words from his son. So that was a real special treat for me, and it's a tremendous honor for me today, guys, to present to you a, a great interview with a with a great man, a special man. And uh, we're going to start the interview off by hearing from each of his three sons. So you'll you will hear from these guys here, and then immediately after that, we'll go into the main event, if you will, with an interview that uh, I really enjoyed and one that I will always remember. A special Friday sitting down with Mr. John Lee, Sr.
2: Hey, Dad, it's John here, Uh, your number one son, as you have called me many times before. Uh, I just recently figured out that you weren't referring to me being born first, though, so uh, I appreciate that. Um, But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, I just wanted to say how much I love and respect you, appreciate the time we had this last week being able to hang out and um just be together. Um and I've had many goals in life and uh you know, different aspirations and I, I, I think I figured out that my primary goal is that uh the fact that I carry your name, um, I have an obligation to bring that honor. Um because you have made it such an honorable name. Um, I respect you more than you could know, and I love you and appreciate you. Uh, enjoy talking with Matt. Love you.
3: This message is for John Lee Sr., or otherwise known as Pops, or Dad. Hey Dad, this is Bill, just leaving you a message here uh, on this podcast with Matt Hersma, Letting you know uh, how much you mean to me and how much I love you. So, uh, I guess the only thing I can say is, um, and I know this sounds cliche, but if I could be half the man, half the husband, half the father that you are, uh, that would be saying a lot. So, I appreciate you more than words can say uh, what it meant uh, for you to be my dad growing up, which what it means to be my dad now, and a grandpa to my kids. Um, you're an amazing man. Um, I really don't know what else to say other than thank you for all the sacrifices you made uh, for me and my brothers. And we love you, Dad.
4: Hey, Dad. It's your son, Ken, here. Um, Most people who are going to be listening to this podcast will probably think of you as Mr. Lee, the teacher, or Mr. Lee, the coach, or even Mr. Atlantic but obviously, I think of you as dad or grandpa, and I couldn't be more proud to be called your son and to have you as a grandfather to my children. Um, I'm completely blessed and honored that I get to carry on the Lee name because um, I think you represent a what a godly man, what an amazing man, what a patient man um, that we all want to become and... I know that's very high praise, but I think you deserve it. I love you and um, have a great podcast, Pop. Love you.
5: Okay, today I am joined by Mr. John Lee Sr. He was a math teacher. Of mine uh, back in high school, one of my favorite teachers. I say that about many of the people I've talked to, but uh, Mr. Lee is definitely one of my favorite teachers. At one time, he was a mortal enemy of mine as a uh, coach of the Atlantic Pirates uh, when I was playing ball as a young man in my third, fourth, and fifth grade days, but he's a great guy, unbelievable person. Can't wait to chat with him today. Uh, we'll talk some Care Youth League. We'll talk about teaching math. We'll talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, but let's welcome him to the program first mr. Lee welcome to the show
0: Thank you glad to be here Matt
5: you know mr lee you are a mathematician and I am the, uh, the 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 least technological person on the planet especially my age. It took us about an hour to finally set up this zoom call but we have done it I feel like I passed <laughs> I passed one of your algebra classes finally. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, Mr. Lee, there, there's a lot to chat about. Uh, I also feel like a fifth grader when we finally, finally feature uh, Atlantic Pirates in a championship game. Uh, one of the thrills of my career uh, that was just getting started. I know you've coached a lot of teams over the years, uh, a lot, and won all kinds of championships. And you are Mr. Atlantic Pirate, even though that team name isn't there anymore. Uh, What has it meant for you over the years to coach the Atlantic Pirates? Because I got to, I got to say you're the first person that many kids who played in that organization think of when they think of the Atlantic Pirates.
0: Wow. Um, Well, of course, those are great years. I had a lot of fun and joy doing it. Uh, Got to relate with a lot of really great kids and uh, it's, it's awesome because every once in a while I hear from some of them. In fact, I have one, uh, one year, uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, but it used to be whatever team, whichever triple A team was in first place at a certain time, got to go to San Felipe, Mexico and play a team down there.
5: Yeah.
0: And my Atlantic team was in first place at the right moment in time. So we got to go to San Felipe and, uh, I had this kid whose name was Andy Rojo. who was, my best pitcher, and so he pitched. So he was just shutting those guys down. Jeff Fairley was the catcher on that team, by the way. You know Jeff. Yeah. And uh, and my son Bill was on that team as well. So anyway, he was just shutting everybody down. We were killing it. It was like ten nothing or something like that. So I brought in another kid whose name was Pablo Serrano, and I and Pablo had really good control. And I said, Pablo, just serve it up, let him hit. And he did. He just just set it down, put it down the middle, and they hit it. Problem is, we fielded everything they hit. (laughs) They still couldn't score. So good old Andy. So I'm uh, posting on Instagram like my morning walk, and I get a reply from Andy Rojo saying, Hey, I just live down the street from where you guys are, and I had no clue. So the other day, I'm at the grocery store shopping. I come out. And here's Andy with a, sh- a cart full of groceries, and we stand out in the parking lot and talk for like forty minutes. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome.
5: That is fantastic. Yeah that 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 is man that probably sums up uh, a lot right there. Care Youth League coaching and everything, all the different people uh, you've coached. I mean, I remember so in my early days at Care Youth League, uh, you know, we had some good teams, but. I just remember the Atlantic Pirates. They had so much talent. Some of the names I'll throw at you that I know it's been a long time. It's been, uh, well, man, let's see, 25 years or so. But, uh, Eddie Gilmore, Justin Bipulaka, um, Adam Gabriel, Robert Tatum. These are guys that were on the Atlantic Pirates that I just despised. Uh, cause we had so many great, <laughs> compet- so many great competitions with them, right? But, uh, and, and they, they would beat us and then we beat them. I mean, it was just, Great rivalries. I know it's been a long time, but but uh, do you do you, you remember those guys, some of those names?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Eddie was one of these guys. Uh, I think we had the ball on about the three-yard line, and it was like the end of the game, and this was for the win, for championship. And in huddle, I was talking to Eddie. I said, Ed, okay, because he was the guy who was going to carry the ball. I said, here's the deal. You cannot stop (laughs) until you cross the goal line. (laughs) And and he didn't. (laughs) He was amazing. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, those are crazy times.
5: Oh, man, just uh, great, great athletes. Uh, You've coached a a great number of athletes on the Atlantic Pirates. I mean, just guys that have gone on to play at the next level uh, or, or play, you know, college football. I think you mentioned a guy. You even had a guy go to the NFL or professional football for a short time. I mean, who, what are some of the names? Uh, oh, I talked to. I, I got. I checked my sources, Mister Lee. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Michael Bennett. No. Michael. Michael Harris, who was the big uh, the big pirate, Atlanta pirate, who went yes, on. Yes, Michael UCLA. Harris. Yeah. Michael Harris. Yeah. Big guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, he went on to UCLA. I used to I used to pick him up in the bus at a daycare center, and he was kind of he uh, was big, and I we had rules then uh, in Care Youth League because of weight, we didn't want uh, you know kids to get hurt, and so he was only allowed to play off- offensive line, and I wanted to make it fun for him, so I taught him how to pull, so he was a pulling guard <laughs> in fifth grade, <laughs> he learned how to do it and it was awesome on a sweep <laughs> oh that but, but yeah pulling, he went on to play at ucla
5: <laughs> that's a that's a scary scary thought that is very scary um if i remember yes. correctly <laughs> that oh they had a big monster guy uh but if i remember correctly and i could be wrong i thought it was him at a summer camp and we used to play this game kick the can where the leaders would on I mean, the in the meadow in the open field would guard this can and and all the kids had to to uh basically kick a can. And but if the leader saw you and called your name, hey, over the can on Matt Versima, then you had to go to jail or whatever. And so it was fun. You played it at night. You you, you try to cover yourself up and make yourself not known. Maybe wear someone else's clothing. This was the, one of the rare times you might rare, uh, wear wear uh, a jacket that said uh, Atlantic Pirates or uh, Cardinals or something when you weren't on that team. Just to confuse the leaders. Well, uh, Michael Harris—he <laughs> he was massive. He was a grown man, and I remember we were getting ready to play kick the can, or I don't, I don't know what I was doing because he wasn't my age, or yeah, whatever. No, he was younger, two years younger, I think. And he said something like, "Well, I got to change my shoes because before we go play kick the can, because his shoes were those blinking, flashing shoes that were, you know, everybody had at the time." And the leaders were laughing, going, Yeah, Mike, uh, that's how we're not gonna notice you or your shoes. You're the biggest kid here. We're we're gonna know it's you if you're <laughs> out of the open. <laughs> your shoes aren't gonna give yeah. it away, pal. That's <laughs> yeah, gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Mount Mount Carrot. <laughs> a special place. Well well Mr. Lee uh, you know, let's let's go back to uh your early days in Youth League, you have been around Youth League a long time, almost from the, the very beginning, really. Um, I think you were telling me 1954. You started as a member of Boys Christian League.
0: Correct. But I wasn't there in the beginning. Remember, it started in
5: 1931. So don't put me there. Oh wow. Okay, so okay, here we go. Time frame 1931. <laughs> All right. Let's let's put this. Uh, yeah. Yes. Let's let's get it accurate. 1954. How old were you then? <laughs>
0: I, well, I was born in 1941, so if you do the math, it sounds like I was like around 13, somewhere in there. Okay, when I wow. Joined.
5: So how did you come across And this, I had never uh, played sports before. Never played, never. So you're 13 years old, never played ball before? Nope. Not so, until I joined. So how did you get, uh, how did you stumble across uh Boys Christian League? Did someone tell you about it, or how did that all come about?
0: Yeah, a kid in my uh class said, Hey, uh he saw me shooting basketball out in the court, you know, a gym class or whatever and said, Hey, you wanna, you know, play on a real team or whatever and I said, oh, ah, yeah, sounds kinda cool. So he invited me and I joined in basketball season and then baseball season came along and I had never played organized baseball at all. We'd played like three flies up in the street and five hundred and stuff like that, or over the line. But never <laughs> on a team. So, so I didn't even know what position to play. And so I was like, well, I don't know what position to go out for because you had tryouts. And uh, somebody said, why don't you try out for pitcher? And I was like, no, okay, I guess. So Mr. Hampton was the coach and he said, okay, here's the deal. He showed me how to do a windup. He said, you're going to throw up uh, 50 pitches, something like that. And if you can throw 35 of them for strikes, you can be a pitcher something to that effect for whatever reason I could throw accurately enough and I made pitcher. And so I always play pitcher all the way through high school.
5: <laughs> there were, you're telling me there were no, uh, <laughs> so, no innings restrictions or pitch counts back then. huh? You could pitch every game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back when men were men, right? <laughs> not, not that I would have been able to, but you know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you mentioned Mr. Hampton. Um, what can you tell me about him? Uh, you know, he's the founder of Care Youth League. Uh, I obviously never met him, and, and some people that I know met him briefly when he was in his uh, older age and everything. But what was Mr. Orr Hampton Senior like uh, in the early days of, uh, of Care Youth League? Was was uh, he this just this presence that that everyone says he was, or was it just him kind of doing everything? And maybe who were some of the other uh, leaders at the time that were working with him?
0: Back when I joined, there weren't very many leaders at all. There was uh, him, uh, Mr. Francis Ostegard, Mr. Philip Ostegard, a man named uh, James Sutens. Uh, And then there were some guys who were older than me that were in Boys Christian League, but they weren't actual coaches, at least not until the summer because what happened is we played baseball and then in the summer, uh, we had what we call Pacific coast league because this is back before the Dodgers and giants came West. Oh wow. So back then there was the Pacific coast league, uh, baseball. So there's like the Hollywood stars, Los Angeles, angels, Seattle, uh, seal or the San Francisco seals. I think it was, uh, Sacramento Solons, whatever, uh, and the Padres. So these, uh, so what we did is there was coaches. We had dads, coaches, and young college kids coaching in the summer, and everybody was divided up. So you no longer played with like Atlantic or Coral or Arrowhead or whatever. You would be mixed in with other kids that you hadn't played with before, and it was kind of cool because I got on a team with. Uh, Gary Lunny who was a coral and with Pat Taylor who was Indian and uh, it was it was really fun and that summer we ended up winning the league so we all got little trophies and everything and then the second year the coaches could actually get together and trade and our coaches were uh, Mike Dowd and uh, Gary Ostrander were co-coaches they were in college and <laughs> They decided, and they actually traded players, believe it or not. The second, there were trades made. That's and great. we traded our catcher, who was a coral kid, to another team for this younger guy. And the guy that we traded away was our catcher, and I really liked him. Yeah, we traded away
5: our catcher so we could not win. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were free. Uh, I thought we froze there for a second. No, we're good. Uh, no, that's that's crazy. So, so yeah. What, so anyway. Were, were guys, like, upset when – well, you said, I mean, at, at, if you're traded, you go to another team. I can't imagine that, like, being traded from the Gators to the Tigers. I would have I lost my mind. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't
0: quite like that because <laughs> uh, we were the Los Angeles Angels. So it wasn't <laughs> like we were being traded from Atlantic or Indian
5: or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, that would have been bad. Oh, yeah,
5: absolutely. <laughs> that early, wouldn't work. Early retirement. Tell me, what what was uh, Gary Lunny and Mister Pat Taylor? What were they like as kids, as uh, as uh, athletes in in the various sports? Were, were they pretty talented, or were, were they were they team guys? What were they like in uh, their young days?
0: Okay, well, Pat Taylor was really fast. And he was a really excellent shortstop. Uh, Gary was not fast. He was <laughs> slow, but he had a good arm. And so Gary and I on that team were the pitchers and Pat was the shortstop. And all through high school, the three of us played together all the way through our senior year in high school. Um, uh, and boys Christian league back then was not in the CIF because we weren't a school. So we had to play whoever we could get games with. The, the CIF, our senior year, gave us permission to play teams in the CIF with no penalty to those teams. So we just started scheduling everybody and anybody. <laughs> we didn't care who. And uh so Gary would pitch. I'd be playing second base. Or I'd be pitching. Gary would be playing second base because we only had, like, I think, 11 or 12 guys so you know you were always playing pretty much and uh my favorite year was we were playing monrovia high school i'm going to monrovia high school i'm sitting across the aisle in trigonometry from the monrovia first baseman, and all week long all i hear is We are playing BCL. What are we doing? We're going to play BC. And he was just having so much fun mocking us and just having this great time. And then we played the game and we won. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't wait to go back to school. (laughs) (laughs)
5: It was awesome. And
0: and I got to pitch. I I pitched against Charter. I pitched against Charter Oak High School. Bosco Tech. But, yeah, because we would just, like I said, we would play whatever we could get a game. We would play. And baseball was kind of our sport. It was Mr. Hampton's sport. Mr. Hampton did analytics before there was such a thing as analytics. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, he he was really big into stealing bases, bunting, all that kind of stuff. And I can remember sitting in meeting talking – And him talking to us saying, look, if you can steal second base, and he had a certain percentage, and I don't remember what it was, if you can steal second, this percent of times, it's worth stealing when you get on. And I, so we really worked at that kind of thing. It was a big thing for us. But then Gary, Pat, and I, the three of us, because it was shortstop and pitchers and second base, we had signals for pickoff signals. So, like, let's say Gary is pitching and I'm playing second, Pat's playing shortstop. We would do some little signal that meant, okay, we're going to try to pick this guy off because he's getting a pretty big lead. And then Pat would hold up his glove in front of his face so nobody could see what he's doing. And he'd look at me and open mouth was like I was going to cover and closed mouth (laughs) he was going to cover, whatever. And then as soon as that happened, Gary would turn and look, at home, he wouldn't even be looking at the runner and he'd just count in his head thousand one, thousand two, whatever, turn and throw to second, and one of us would break and cover.
5: <laughs> so we were always doing stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I love that. A lot the, of fun. I love that. The deceptive uh the deceptive care youth league leaders. Uh, that that's interesting stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> we got uh, stealing and thievery. No, I'm oh, just yeah. kidding. Oh uh, just kidding. That is wonderful. That's that is stuff I love hearing in baseball. Like those are the things that really make a team better and can really help you beat teams that might be better than you, you know, stuff like that. That's love hearing the, the old school the the leaders talking about their younger playing days. This is awesome. Great to hear. So much fun. So much fun. Ah wow, yeah. Gary Liney, Pat Taylor too, amazing guys. You know, I forgot to ask you, uh kind of before Curious League You were actually born in Tennessee, right? So tell me about uh, that and when you came out to California.
0: Okay. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee at Vanderbilt University Hospital, just down the road from the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I was about four and a half or five years old when we moved to California. I'm not sure why we moved to California, but this is right as World War II is ending. My dad welded airplanes at an aircraft factory during the war uh, because he had been uh, classified as 4F, so he did not go into the military. So instead he welded airplanes. Then we moved to California to South Pasadena, went to kindergarten, first and second grade there. And then the summer after my second grade year, we moved to Duarte. That's where I grew up. was there all the way until I was off to college. Very wasn't really cool. off
5: to college, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah locally. <laughs> well, so so being from Tennessee, you still uh, a proud ten- – even though you came out uh, to California at a pretty young age, you still got some Tennessee blood in you as far as maybe some of the sports teams out there? Do you, do you follow any of the college or pro teams from Tennessee? Well,
0: uh, I it, follow the university. University of Tennessee. Uh, I've got my orange shirts and so forth, but uh, we haven't done too well lately. <laughs> Although uh, I saw they just won a basketball game last night. <laughs> uh, Vanderbilt was where I was born and uh, they've done really well in baseball. Yeah. So we kind of follow them in baseball and then I'll watch maybe their basketball game sometime or a football game here and there. But yeah, they're uh, <laughs> they they win some, they win a few games, but they're not exactly a powerhouse. <laughs> no,
5: Tennessee football is kind of taking some.
0: Good. Oh, it's gone
5: down because oh. it used to be, it
0: used to be really good. And the thing is, it's funny about it is like I can remember going back to Tennessee and visiting, and like aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody there are rabid Tennessee fans. And I mean, you can be talking to some grandmother and she'll be. Telling you what the quarterback did wrong that game, I mean, it's like they
5: follow it big time. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, football in the South is complete just a different animal. And I mean, yeah. they talk they talk college football year round. I mean, it, it'll be in the month of May, and they're talking they're breaking down the, the cover two of Alabama or whatever. You know, that's great. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but, yeah, I would say to Tennessee basketball, they're having they're having a little more success right now than the football program. And the baseball program at Vanderbilt, you're right. Uh, really, really solid program. Great head coach there too, uh, Tim Corbin. So, uh, okay, cool. It, it's nice to, to hear about, uh, people where, where people are from, their roots and everything. Uh, and it's cool that you, uh, you follow those, uh, those teams. Yeah. That. I've definitely do
0: not have a Tennessee accent. No. My mom kept her Tennessee accent for a long time. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, we'd be uh we'd be driving to my aunt's house, and there used to be this big sign uh with this huge leg on top of this building. They've made uh stockings and hosiery and so forth, and there's a gigantic leg on top of the building. And we'd always see that and we'd know we're almost there, and my mom, yonder is the leg. <laughs> yonder. <laughs> Where you go down to the creek and the toads, you know, have frog legs for dinner, (laughs) stuff like that.
5: when when you were a kid, because my uncle had a what what was your uncle? Well, my uncle had a my uncle
0: had a farm in Tennessee, and he had uh, cows and chickens and hogs and so forth. And uh, he there was five ponds. On his farm, where he raised minnows for bait, and uh, the the men would go down to the creek or the crick, and <laughs> they'd take their toad stickers with them, and <laughs> we'd have frog legs for dinner. <laughs>
5: wow. <laughs> wow! So when you're when you were a kid, and you're, that's your
6: that's my Tennessee background.
5: Yeah. Oh, now for sure, your mom. So she had the accent uh, even back in, in California. Did And growing up, were you like, hey, my mom sounds a little different than other people? <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's interesting. Uh Okay. So you come from Tennessee. You go through Cary Heathway. You guys have this great high school experience uh, playing ball together. And then it's time to go to college. And, you know, you're a math teacher. Did you know you were going to go into mathematics or was that just something or one day you said, oh, "I'll try this out?" How did how did you know and go into the whole mathematics thing?
0: Well, I enjoyed math through high school. I was I'm not I wasn't great at it, but I always got Bs or higher and and so I knew I could do it pretty well. I was interested in it. It was kind of fun for me. And uh, we were going, the plan was that uh, Care Youth League was going to start a school, which actually did start in 1964. And I had decided that I wanted to teach at the school. And Mr. Hampton, who was the headmaster, said, whatever you're going to teach, you have to major in that subject. You cannot just be like the gym teacher teaching math. It was a big thing with him. Yeah. So I really wanted to be, wanted to teach math. So I became a math major, not realizing how difficult it was going to be. (laughs) 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 But (laughs) that's another story. (laughs) Where
6: did you go to school? Okay.
0: Hey, I started, Went to uh, passing a community college first for my first two years. Uh, my parents did not have much money; they did not help me through school at all. And I don't have, and I never, and I graduated with no student debt. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> but not because of my parents, because I always had jobs that I did. Yeah, I was doing janitor jobs at night, all kinds of stuff like that. So my the first semester was kind of rough because I just graduated from Monrovia High School and I f- kind of felt like, well, Monrovia academically is not quite as good as some of these other schools around, and so I had a little bit of a uh, complex, I guess. I don't know how to say it exactly, but I felt like, yeah, these other students are probably they got a little more knowledge than I do, or better education, whatever. Anyway, that first semester, I just sat down. Nobody helped me, so I just got a college catalog and scheduled classes, sat down, figured out, okay, this is what I need to do. I signed up for calculus, engineering, physics, French, comp 1A. You were required back then to take a gym class, so I signed up for basketball. And then there was another class you had to take as an incoming freshman. overload total overload I was blown away I'm like okay it's taking me an hour a night to do calculus I got to spend an hour on French I'm writing term papers and composition for comp 1a and I got engineering physics it's taking me two hours a night to do because I don't understand it <laughs> and So I was just swamped yeah so I ended up dropping engineering physics and uh But anyway, I transferred from there to UCLA. I spent a year at UCLA. But the drive was horrible. Because the 210 freeway wasn't even there then. So to get to UCLA, you drive out the 10 freeway, get off at Hollywood Bowl, city streets all the way to Westwood. It took forever getting there and getting back at the end of that year. And I was still doing jobs at night and stuff. And I was, and at this point I was coaching two teams. So I was like coaching all day Saturday and I was just getting run into the ground. I was just like, okay, I can't keep doing this. So I talked to a counselor at UCLA and the guy said, okay, I suggest you either quit your job, quit." coaching or move on to campus so you don't have that drive live in a dorm i have no money for that (laughs) so (laughs) i'm just trying to buy my books and pay for my classes so i transferred to cal state la and i could get home in 15 minutes and i was like uh i can breathe (laughs) so that's where i actually graduated but yeah it's like
5: yeah, it was too much. Oh man! But anyway, I, I I can't imagine that drive. I know my my good friend Jordan Ross attempted to do that for quite some time, and it just became too much. And that was with the freeway, uh, you know, not not having the oh, commute. Yeah. You know, wow. Yeah, uh-huh. it's just yeah, you just get burnt out. Oh well, I, I've heard that you know they might rename Cal State L A to uh, to Care State L A since it has so many. Carey Youth League uh, leaders and such who yeah. who went there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe a lot there. Cal,
0: Cal State Fullerton. A lot, of, a lot of people have gone to Cal State Fullerton as well. Yeah,
5: yeah, that's uh, where I went. Proud, proud graduate of there. Uh, they just kind of pass out degrees there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so mathematics, uh, you go into <laughs> teaching, and what some people say, oh yeah, I, I want to be a teacher, and then they step in the classroom and it's like, "Oh, I don't know if I want to be a teacher anymore. What, what was the experience like for you? Did you enjoy it right (laughs) away? (laughs) Did you enjoy it right away? Or was it like, uh, why did I do this?
6: Um,
0: my first couple of years, I really enjoyed it. Then it was a little bit of a period where it was a little bit of a struggle. (laughs) Actually, the most fun years I had were probably towards the end. And I don't know if it's just because I had way better classes or better kids. I don't know what the difference was or if I was just older and wiser. I don't know. But I really, really, really enjoyed it uh, towards the end. And, man, the the year I retired, wow, that was tough. I really wanted back in the classroom.
5: Okay. You wanted to just keep. So I did a little tutoring. Yeah, I I really missed it. I really did. And I still do. Oh, I bet. And, and, you know, I took five years. Later, six years later. Five Yeah. What's it been? Six years? Yeah. What, man, it's been a long time. Uh, I miss your, your, uh, your classes. Well, except for the whole homework and testing part. Uh, your classes were fun. <laughs> you, you made, if we didn't have yeah. homework or tests. It would have been the best time ever. Uh, but yeah, the pre-algebra, algebra <laughs> two, uh, you, you, you were you made it, you made it fun. You made it, uh, clear, like there's nothing worse than a teacher up there explaining something to you and you're like, I don't get it. I still don't get it. I still don't you know, and the teacher just like looks at you like you gotta get this at some point. Uh you were very patient with yeah. your, your students, I will say. What's you know? the matter with you? I can't you get this <laughs> I went to all these years of college and <laughs> mathematics classes and, and and I'm teaching this and you don't understand? Come on, kid. I was thinking about football or something probably <laughs> No, no, <laughs>
0: actually, I think I was a better teacher because it wasn't easy for me. Mm. So I think I had a better understanding
6: of a kid struggling because I struggled
5: getting through college. So I think it made me more uh, sympathetic, not the right word,
0: but. <laughs> It made me understand more, you know, what the kids going through and make me realize I'm going to have to explain it some other way.
5: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I've never heard it put that way. That's a really, uh, good. That's a really good, uh, lesson there that, yeah, you have to kind of work with the students you got. And, and that was one thing I learned about coaching when I was coaching is you, you can't, expect a kid to have your same mindset. You have to make it more clear to them because you're dealing with different individuals and different types of people. So uh, maybe if some guy gets it by writing on the board or or another guy gets it by uh, playing a name game or whatever, but yeah, when you deal with different personalities, uh, it doesn't always soak in as, as much. So very good stuff, Mr. Lee. Well, thank you for helping me get through those. Those math classes, because uh, I'm sure it wasn't easy for you. Impatient as you were, but you were a very patient man. Well,
6: my
0: saying about coaching was this: crystal clear is not clear enough. Oh, <laughs> when you're explaining, <laughs> you have to think about that for a second.
5: Oh, that is deep. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, I gotta use that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that's experience talking uh, I mean, that is experience of coaching kids <laughs> and working with high school students that that wow that is a great quote wow <laughs> i'm writing it down as we speak I, I, I as my mind is blown i'm ready for the day now <laughs> oh man okay, good oh boy uh well mr lee we got to talk uh unfortunately no i'm just kidding about your three sons uh great guys each of them has uh have been on the program um just a great time chatting with them um you got to be you got to just be so proud of the, the young men they have become and i don't want to put you on the spot here but uh, but i'm going to a little bit um i have a surprise for That's you china yeah um, a minor surprise um each of them actually uh had a, a short little uh, message they wanted to send you. So I've never done this on the podcast before. So I'm going to do my very best. This is from each of your sons. If you don't hear anything, uh, in the next five seconds, then, uh, then tell me and we'll, we'll try another way. But, uh, here it is. Here's a little message from each of your sons. Uh, your number one son, as you have called me many times before. Uh, I just recently figured out that you weren't referring to me being born first though. So. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, I just wanted to say how much I love and respect you, appreciate the time we had this last week being able to hang out and, um, just be together. Um, and I've had many goals in life and, uh, you know, different aspirations. And I, I, I think I figured out that my primary goal is that, uh, the fact that I carry your name um, I have an obligation to bring that honor, um, because you have made it such an honorable name. Um, I respect you more than you could know and I love you and appreciate you. Uh, enjoy talking with Matt. Love you. Okay. That was from John Lee Jr. up in, uh, Eugene area, Eugene, Oregon area with some kind words. For, uh, for you, Mr. Lee. And, uh, I got two more, you know, there's two more Lee boys as, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people at Kerry Youth League learned over the years when, when one Lee boy would do something. Uh, there was probably this catchphrase. I got to guess about, uh, you know, oh, there's two more of those Lee boys. You know, what are we going to do with them? Anyway, here's your other son, Mr. Lee. Uh, this is from, uh, your middle son, Bill Lee, the Marine. This message is for, John Lee Sr. or otherwise known as Pops or Dad. Hey Dad, this is Bill. Just leaving you a message here, uh, on this podcast with Matt Hertzman. Letting you know, uh, how much you mean me and how much I love you. So, uh, I guess the only thing I can say is, um, and I know this sounds cliche, but if I could be half the man, half the husband, half the father that you are, uh, that'd be saying a lot. So I appreciate you more than words to say uh what it meant uh for you to be my dad growing up, what it means to be my dad now, and a grandpa to my kids. Um, you're an amazing man. Um, I really don't know what else to say other than thank you for all the sacrifices you made uh for me and my brothers and we love you dad. Alright, thank you to Bill Lee from up in Wrightwood, California, up at Mount Care. Uh, running the show up there, which I'm sure we'll talk about here briefly. And, uh, we got one more, our audio engineer here on the Get Home Safe podcast, Ken Lee, who helped us set this up, uh, <laughs> set up our Zoom call before he headed, uh, headed out for the day. Uh, Ken Lee with his fancy microphone, he comes in loud and clear. So let's hear what he has to say about Mr. John Lee. Hey, dad. It's your son, Ken here. Um, most people who are going to be listening to this podcast will probably think of you as Mr. Lee, the teacher or Mr Lee the coach or even Mr Atlantic but obviously i think of you as dad or grandpa and i couldn't be more proud to be called your son and to have you as a grandfather to my children um i'm completely blessed and honored that i get to carry on the lee name because um i think you represent a, what a godly man! What an amazing man! What a patient man! Um, that we all want to become. And I know that's very high praise, but I think you deserve it. I love you, and um, have a great podcast, Pop. Love you. All right. A big thank you to the Lee sons, the Lee boys, uh, for saying a few nice words about their 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 dad here, Mr. Lee. Um, Mr. Lee, I, I do wanna say that I appreciate you. I know a lot of people appreciate you. Um, not only as again, like Ken said and John and Bill said, as a teacher, as a coach, but just as a person. You've been a a, a leader of people and somebody that we can all look up to and, and uh I'll give you the opportunity now to say anything you want about your three sons, uh the Lee Boys, and uh Yeah, that's about it. What do you got
6: on the three Lee boys? Wow. Uh, Man. Yeah, that
0: kind of blew me away. Uh, Well, I'll tell you one thing. They're all three extremely, extremely competitive. (laughs) 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 Uh, Almost to a fault. (laughs) Love it. Bill can never be wrong about anything. It's just his, it just, he will argue and argument. His argument could be the dumbest thing in the world, but he is going to keep arguing and he will not give in. And I remember one evening, his daughter, who is like 11 years old at the time, Reese, all of a sudden she jumps up and she goes, Dad. You can never be wrong. What's the matter with you? Like, and she stomps off to her bedroom, <laughs> and we're all just kind of sitting there, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's
5: that's Bill for sure. Well, when well, you're the only man in the house, I but, mean, uh, oh uh, I my can't goodness. imagine. Yes, yeah, poor I, Char, poor Charlene having yeah. to deal with Bill who's yeah. always right. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But uh, oh
0: my goodness, my wife and I. We would talk about it a lot of times. We'd be like driving someplace, just talk in the car, and go, "Dear," I said, "You know how many games we have watched in our life? All three of our sons started playing when they were five. I don't think we ever missed a game all the way through their high school years. <laughs> so, and even Ken played a little bit of a, I guess, semi-pro baseball, and we went and saw some of his games. And then, uh, anyway." Seeing so many games and, oh, my goodness, I'm really proud of my boys, obviously. But watching them play, and I know because they will argue like, yeah, well, who was the best or who did, you know, whatever. And they each had their own things. But I can remember sitting at Pauly, passing at Pauly, playing a basketball game. And I'm sitting behind the Pauly bench about four rows up, and I can hear their coach talking to the players. And I can remember him getting really, really mad because somebody wasn't guarding John on beyond the three-point line. He goes, I told you he's a shooter. I don't want him left alone out there. <laughs> can you still hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. I can oh, hear okay. You. I thought I lost you for a second. No, nope. I thought I lost you for a second because oh. I, can't, I can't see you anymore. So I, <laughs> I, didn't I can't see you, and I couldn't hear you
5: for a second. So I'm like, uh, is Matt still there? I'm still <laughs> here. I'm still here. I'm loving the stories. So. I'm loving the stories. Keep them coming.
0: Okay. So then so same game, Bill's playing center. Some guy drives into the key, and Bill blocked a shot. And I distinctly heard Bill say, don't come in here again. <laughs> I go, that's, that's my boys. <laughs> They're crazy. <laughs> and then Ken, I'm watching Ken play basketball. I'm sitting next to uh coach from Flintridge. For whatever reason, he's just there scouting and he's with another coach and Ken gets fouled. He's going to the free throw line. And the guy, Flintridge coach, turns to the other guy and he says, uh, he's not gonna miss. And I'm like, Yes, that's my son. <laughs> 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 but anyway, yeah, they all Yeah. But uh Ken, oh my goodness, when he was like 10, I had there was no rest. Sunday afternoon, I just I just want to take a nap, right? Little Ken comes in, Dad. You gotta to go to the batting cages. I gotta practice batting left-handed. Uh okay, Ken. You <laughs> go down and get a bucket, got a balls, and and then so then, but Ken in high school, varsity, he's talking to Mr. Johnson, he wants to bat left-handed. Mr. Johnson, Mr. Randy Johnson, like, no, Ken, you're right-handed, you're not batting left left-handed. Kim says, I'm telling you, I can bat better left-handed. He says, nope. He wouldn't let him do it. So finally, one game, he lets him bat left-handed. His first at bat, he gets a double. Never batted right-handed <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs>
5: that's a great
0: story. Oh, I man. attribute it to all those Sunday afternoons in the batting cage. <laughs> that's
5: it. That's it. Uh, no nap. No nap time for dad. It's, you got to get some, get some work in. That's great. Nope. Uh, well, let me ask you. You know, yep. <laughs> your, your three sons. I I, I know them eh, decently, pretty well. Um, I can't imagine what they were like as kids, and then and then uh, you know playing in care youth league themselves. Uh, what what was uh what was more intense their their games as they were playing in care youth league or kind of playing against each other. Uh, in the front yard or backyard, basketball, football, whatever it was. Were those games between the Lee boys a lot more intense? Well, let me
0: put it this way. I mounted a basketball uh, backboard and hoop on our garage. And after dinner, every night, we'd go out in the driveway, and I would, Ken would be on my team playing against Bill and John because Ken was the youngest. I love it. And we'd be playing, and they – Ken would be dri- driving to the basket, and they would slam him into the garage door. I mean, just blast him. And I go, "Guys, take it easy. You know, whatever." They go, "Oh, Dad, this is good for him." And the funny part is, Ken of the three of them was the best ball handler and the best basketball player all around. And so maybe. Maybe they did have a point. (laughs) But yeah, those those were kind of (laughs) rough. Oh man. And you know, they do things like okay, they're riding their bikes up to the seven eleven or to the donut shop, right? They get a box of donuts. So I remember this story very well. So they got a box of donuts, they make Ken carry the box. So he's got the box of donuts, a dozen donuts. He's riding his bike with one hand. And I can't remember exactly what caused it, but for whatever reason he crashed on the bike. They pick up the box of donuts and take off. <laughs> like, uh, too bad, Ken. <laughs> Sorry you had this accident. <laughs> so yeah, they know the story much better than I do because I wasn't actually there. But uh,
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ken, yeah. don't get, Ken, don't get blood on our donuts, man. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a brother story if I've ever heard one. <laughs> that is fantastic. How did well, yeah. talk, if you talk about conversations like with your with your wife, Mister Lee? Uh, how I mean, did you guys ever just shake your head at, at, at dealing with these three knuckleheads? I'll, I'll call them. I'll call them knuckleheads. You don't have to. Uh, you know, growing up, I mean, were you just some nights were you guys just like, oh, I can't believe these guys are surviving or getting through high school or getting through whatever. Uh, I know you're proud of them, but you had to just laugh on a daily basis with these guys, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh,
0: they all had their streak of stubbornness. John had his little
5: nickname that people called him. Uh, Did any one of them tell you his nickname? No, not that I Apparently not. They They called him Bitter Heart Bear.
6: Oh because yeah, kid
0: yeah. so <laughs> 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 but Bill was the most stubborn of them all. When he was young, when he was like two, uh he was supposed to say thank you to grandpa, Nancy's dad. And for whatever reason he decided he wasn't gonna do it. So My wife picks him up, gives him a little spanking. He's crying. So now she picks him up. She's in the rocking chair, rocking him, holding him, giving him some love, telling him, so Bill, all you got to do is just say thank you to Grandpa, and it's all over. (laughs) We're done. Nope, not going to do it. Another little swat on the bottom, some more rocking in the chair. This went on for an hour and a half. <laughs> I am not making this up. He finally broke in and said, "Thank you." And my wife looks at me. She said, "I just had to win that battle."
5: <laughs> yeah. God bless <laughs> her. Now, when it was all over. Oh yeah. yeah. No, that Oh, God bless Mrs. Lee. That's awesome. Hey, that's the same guy that, that has led men into combat with the Marines being a little stubborn, uh, two-year-old. Right. <laughs> oh, I love yep. it. Yeah. I love it. Oh man. Um, how did the whole, how did the whole, uh, taco night start? Was that a weekly tradition? I just remember the, the taco feed at the Lee house. I mean, when did that all start? How did, you know, was that always the thing you guys did? Well, my wife always
0: made tacos every once in a while. And then I can't remember when the whole thing first started. We're like inviting the world to our house for a taco feeds. I think it was probably one of my sons that instigated it. Like you know, yeah. it could have been a birthday party or something like that. The very first time, I don't know. But then, like John, anytime he would come down from Oregon after he moved up there, it's like okay, we got to have invite everybody over for a taco feed. And so we're talking like hundreds of tacos. Yeah. I mean, there were people that would eat six and seven tacos. And so we just crank those things out so John is very proud because he got Nancy's recipe so when I was up at Oregon just this last week we had a taco feed with people over at John's house using grandma's recipe and John announcing yeah this is grandma's recipe this is it and oh man
5: oh I would Same I would
0: been- people were down on those
5: Oh, I would have been on. I would have been on the first flight out had I heard the news. I mean, uh, flying up there to Oregon because I've, I've been a part of some of those. those are, hes not lying. Those are those are amazing. They—they they definitely the masses came to the Lee House for sure.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing—the other thing she used to make were Swedish cookies. Whoa! And all my. Bro- Boys love those things. They're like, man, I wish we had that recipe. So after we moved out here to Rancho, I'm just digging through boxes and looking through stuff, and I come across this little tin box. It's got three-by-five cards in it with recipes. And I start looking through there, and lo and behold, there is a Swedish cookie recipe. I took it with me to Oregon, and John's youngest daughter made Swedish cookies while we were there. <laughs> oh. So that's
5: pretty cool. Oh, I, I love stories, stories like that. That's, uh, that's fantastic. And, yeah. uh, you know, like I said, each, each of the Lee sons, Lee boys have been on the, on the program. Uh, Bill has experience in, in the Marines, uh, your other sons in law enforcement, Ken, and then John, you know, uh, basically running the uh, trucking company up there in Oregon. I mean, all of them are in these leadership positions. And, and I gotta say, Mr. Lee, that, you know, they, they'll say it and they said it kind of in those messages that I think they're, their roles as leaders in their various occupations uh, has to stem from you looking at you as a leader of their family and also a leader in the classroom or, or as a coach. Uh, but, but yeah, when I think of the Lees, um, uh, it's funny, it's ironic that it's part of the name, right? Yeah, it's not spelled the same, but Lee, Lee is short for leader in my opinion, because all three of those sons uh, in their, in their various positions, just leaders. And, and I don't think there's a better compliment you can really give someone, especially someone who's gone through Care Youth League, a real hondo, than to say, hey, that guy's a leader. You know what I mean? So what can you speak to in in your three yeah. sons being who who they are now uh, in their various leadership roles? Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. And uh, I am very proud of him.
0: Uh, while I was up in Oregon, I got to meet John's boss and talk to him for a while that was kind of cool. And John the other day said he had to sign, they bought a bunch of new trucks and he had to sign a check. I think it was like $41 million. And John was like, dad, I can't believe I'm going to sign a check this big. He says, I double and triple check with the boss. Am I really supposed to do this? <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of crazy. And, uh, uh,
6: yeah, I'm
5: really proud of them, for sure. Oh, uh, I how- think I contribute a lot of what they are to my wife.
6: Mm.
0: Mm.
5: It is are are the three are the three boys. I'm sure they have attributes from you and her. Do you see more? Do how do I say this? Are they more like her than they are you? Uh, I, I know. They're boys, so they're usually like their dad more. But would you say they are more Mrs. Lee than Mr. Lee? Or is it kind of down the middle or a close 60-40? I mean, if if you had to sum it up for us, uh, would you see more of you in them or more of her in them?
0: Uh, It's pretty close. I'd say yeah. I see probably a little more of me. <laughs> but an awful lot of her. And uh, the interesting thing is, because three of my seven grandkids are girls, so three granddaughters. And the interesting thing is, and I don't know how this works from generation to generation, but both Bill and John have said that they notice in their daughters a lot of grandma.
5: Oh.
6: Just how she was. Like, whoa. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like okay. i say i don't know how that works but and 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 maybe it's just because they knew her obviously yeah for qu- quite a while and so maybe they just picked up on it but you know their their uh thoughtfulness their kindness um, you know i go up to or i go up to Wrightwood, and my two granddaughters up there man like if i need anything i mean they're like on it <laughs> You know, they're just very thoughtful. Um, You know, in the same way, I go up to Oregon, and my granddaughter up there, you know, it's the same Mm -hmm. thing. Like, And I even see it in my grandsons a little bit, like with Jonah, who's, you know, he's a special needs kid, but, man, at dinner, if he... you know, there could be thirty people there having a some kind of gathering or whatever. If he notices somebody doesn't have a napkin, he will jump up, and go get
5: a napkin, and take it to them. Oh, very observant that way, <laughs> which is really cool. That is really cool. So, that is cool. anyway, no, that, that was that Grandma.
0: Is... She, she, like, if we got extra money from someplace, she never thought, oh, cool, we can go out to dinner now. Or we can do this, or whatever. It's like, what do the kids
6: need? Always, it's always about
0: other people.
5: Wow, wow! What what a special lady! I wish I had. I wish I had half of what
0: she had that way.
5: (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like uh, maybe maybe they get the (laughs) leadership. (laughs) Maybe they get the kindness and the leadership traits from from her, and maybe that. Uh, just a touch of the stubbornness from you, Mr. Lee. Is that kind of what I'm, what I'm getting, the sensing here? Just a touch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I
0: think that
5: could be true. Yes, <laughs> that could be true. <laughs> how how fun is it for you? You said oh, seven seven grandkids. I mean, that is as many Super Bowls yep. as, as Tom Brady has won. Although I will say that yeah, you are the bigger winner. In the uh, you know, in we got to sum it up uh, seven grandkids and how fun is it for you to now see your sons, uh, be, be fathers and to be parents and to, uh, maybe, yeah. st- maybe go through the same struggles you went through with them or, or even the same joys. I mean, you got to sit back and just be like, yep, I remember when I went through that with you and they probably roll their eyes or whatever, but, but being a grandfather to their kids and seeing them, be- <laughs> them become fathers. I mean, what, what do you think of all that? It's,
0: it's very interesting. It's true. And I sometimes wonder, okay, what are they going to do in this situation? But <laughs> I stay out of it. I, I'm like, I'm not going to be one of these grandparents that's sticking their nose into like, no, you should be doing this or, you know, whatever. I just let them <laughs> use their own judgment and what they've learned
5: through the years, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, try, trial by fire, like, like most parents have to. And- You've done your part. Now it's just time to, uh, yep. eat, eat, eat cookies with the grandkids. And uh, at the end of the day, they can, uh, deal, the parents can deal with the other stuff. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, <laughs> I'm, there, I'm there to give hugs.
6: <laughs> exactly. Oh, love it.
5: <laughs> I'm there to give hugs. And hey, I'm here. <laughs> Uh, let me, let yep. me ask, <laughs> let me ask you this. Um, there's been, I'm sure summer trips is something you, uh, went on all the time and you were creating play sets and doing all kinds of things. Uh, but, but what are some memorable stories that you have from summer trips? Uh, your son John tipped me off on a few and, and told me to ask you a few questions about a few different, uh, trip experiences or maybe to San Felipe. What are some stories that you got for us that you can tell? Um, just about anything. I mean, I wrote down a few notes here. There was apparently a, a fire on a, on a, uh, on a play, uh, on the, on the stage for a trip play. Uh, there was a situation where, uh, you had to wait out in the rain, uh, in the San Felipe overpass or something like that. And then, uh, my favorite one here, he told me. Was, <laughs> You waited outside of Ford's Theater on a summer trip for like five hours, just hoping the bus would swing by. I mean, do any of those stories uh, ring a bell, Mr. Lee? Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> very, those are all very clear
0: in my mind. Uh, I, I did the San Felipe one first. <clears throat> it was a San Felipe trip. I wasn't on it. I was back at the field, and uh, the bus broke down somewhere. And so they called back and said, "Okay, we need another bus, and uh, we need a like a van to haul some luggage and stuff in. And then, so it's going to take three people. So somebody's got to drive the bus. Somebody's got to drive this van, and then somebody's got to take the three people that drove those down there back. So three vehicles are going on the rescue. (laughs) Okay, so I'm driving this van. It's pouring rain." And I'm in the middle lane of the freeway is on the 10 freeway going about 60 miles an hour. And this old van back then, the windshield wipers were kind of uh, controlled by the, uh, they weren't electric. I don't know how it exactly worked, but when you pressed on the accelerator, they would slow down a little bit. And if you let up a little bit, they'd speed up, I have no idea some vacuum thing or whatever. Anyway, I realized, man, I'm really tired and this these things are going to hypnotize me. It's like I need to pull over for a minute. So I real quickly look to the right. There's nobody in the lane to the right of me. So I start turning. And the second I start turning, this thing starts getting. Uh, and it starts sliding to the side and it's tipping. And I can... Specifically, remember, hanging on to the steering wheel for all I'm worth and just saying, oh, boy, this is going to be bad. It passed through my mind just like that. This thing tipped over. It rolled I don't know how many times, but it ended about 40 feet off the freeway. Cool. On the side, front windshield's not there. It fell out. The engine's on fire. And I'm sitting there in a the seat holding on a steering wheel. Now, this is before seat belts. There was no seat belt. Don't ask me how I stayed sitting in that position holding on to the steering wheel through all this. But the only way I could get out was to crawl out the back. There were like double doors on the back of this van, and I crawled out the back. Okay, so it's raining. I'm not injured, but I'm thinking in my head, I just ruined the San Felipe trip. That's what's going through my head. I'm not even thinking about myself at that moment in time. But then I started getting cold. And I realized later I was probably going into shock a little bit. But up ahead was a freeway overpass. So I jogged up there and got underneath it so that I wasn't in the rain. And after a while, high patrol car pulls up. I go, oh, good. <laughs> I run out. It's me, (laughs) I'm the driver, I'm the one, (laughs) take me in, whatever. The guy puts me in the cat, puts me, so the high patrol guy puts me in the front seat of his patrol car and turns the heater on blast (laughs) so I can get warm. And then uh, in the meantime, Mr. Soutens had been driving the bus and before I went under the underpass, I see the bus coming. And he's in the right lane, so I get on the side of the freeway as close as I can get without being on it, and I'm jumping up and down, waving my arms to wave him over. He's staring straight ahead; he doesn't even see me, just zipped on by. <laughs> like, That's great. <laughs> anyway, eventually uh, the other van comes, and the San Felipe trip goes on, and we they take me to the hospital, and I'm fine, no problem. That uh, vehicle that I crashed never ran again. It was a goner. (laughs) (laughs) Went to the trash heap somewhere. So, yeah, that was great. Oh, boy. (laughs) And for quite a few years after that, whenever I drove in the rain, if I would go to turn a corner, the weirdest feeling would come over me like, oh, is this thing going to start sliding? Is something going to (laughs) happen? Well, it's kinda of crazy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was that one.
5: You have a few uh Okay.
0: So <laughs> So as far as uh Fire on the Stage, I designed this one play set, it was for Walking Through Walls. If you ever saw that play, I don't know. But it was this one where it's supposed to take place in a theater and these uh ghosts from the past appear. And so I have to make ghosts appear on stage. So the way I designed a set is I had on the back wall, I had these arches. And I put a black scrim, which is kind of like a screen, over in front of the arch or covering the arch. So my plan was, okay, the lights are on the front of the stage. You won't be able to see through the scrim. Okay, if you think about like walking past a house at night and the lights are off, You can't see through the window, but they turn a light on. You can see through the window. Okay. So my thought is there's going to be a light behind this arch. The ghost can be standing behind the scrim. We turn that light on and now the ghost appears. Okay. And there's probably eight of these arches total. So this went fine for a while. About halfway through the trip, Mr. Hampton who's been sitting in the audience every single night watching a play for however many nights it's been now for several weeks. And all of a sudden he says, we have to fix this. This I can see the ghosts before they appear. Well, he knows the ghosts are there. (laughs) He's been watching his play for however many nights, for 21 nights. And yeah, he probably, if he looks real close, he can probably tell there's something back there. So he doesn't like the system. So one night he, or afternoon, he rises to the campground. He's got all this black cloth material and Deanne Lammers is on the trip and she has and there's a sewing machine and she's making curtains and there's all these curtain rods, like for all these eight openings. So 16 curtain rods, one for the top, one for the bottom. These are like drapery rods. And so the plan is you make these curtains and they, they're black cloth they cover the opening you pull the cord they open and the ghost appears. Well, it's kind of tri- tricky because it's got to be one continuous loop of rope to open the bottom drapery and the top drapery at the same time with one pull. <laughs> well, Chuck Miller kind of engineered that and we get all these things installed. So now the other thing is there's a little pots of uh some kind of power, I don't know what, I don't think it was gunpowder, but something next to each opening, one on each side of every opening. And there were electrical cords going back, and Mr. Francis Hampton was controlling these things. He could flip a switch, and this pot would ignite, and a puff of smoke would go up. Well, one night, I'm out in the audience while watching the play, and I notice one of these little puff pots goes off on the second story, and one of these black cloths catches on fire. Oh. So I hop out of my seat. I run to the back of the play set, grab, grab the fire extinguisher, climb up the, the metal <laughs> uh, piping and so forth to get up to the second floor behind it. And Chuck Miller's coming up from the other side, and we take the fire extinguisher and we blast the fire out. We put it out. Okay, we go back down. Okay, play goes on like nothing happened. Later that night, we're talking around the concession truck, you know, getting something to drink or whatever. And we're like, man, the fire was crazy. And everybody's like, huh? There was a fire? You guys didn't see that fire? Like, what fire? On the second story of the place, the curtain was on fire. They go. It was <laughs> nobody saw it. <laughs> they were all watching the actors down below. I guess I don't know, but yeah, we cut the place on fire. We did. So that <laughs> oh, happened. All that was crazy. You never knew what was going to happen on a trip, and you never knew what Mister Hampton was going to ask you to do, because he just figured you could do it. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, that's what I but, heard. Um, <laughs> oh yeah.
0: We pushed you to your limit. What uh Okay, well, I got to tell you about one of the first trips that I was on. We'll go to the stranded in Washington, D.C. trip. So, ninth grade, first trip I'm on. We traveled uh, for six and a half weeks. We went all the way down to Miami, Florida, up to New York, Niagara Falls, and back and played baseball.
5: We traveled hard. <laughs> Sometimes we traveled all night. Okay.
0: Anyway, being high school kids, we did what I would call a very sophomoric thing. We decided that everyone on this trip was going to have to get a pink belly. (laughs) For those who don't know what that means, it means you get a guy on the ground, you pull his shirt up, and you start slapping his belly until it just turns red.
6: That is called a pink belly.
0: Now, why would we do this? I don't know. We're high school kids, okay? (laughs) So everybody's going to get a pink belly. There's one guy who's a 10th grader
6: and pretty decent sized, he
0: declares he is not going to get a pink belly. The challenge has been thrown. (laughs) Mistake. This is not a good thing to do. No. So we're we're driving. We're coming to the painted desert. This kid's in the back of the bus. He can't see us. We can't see him because there's these plywood shelves that we built. We unbolted seats just from an old school bus. And we built shelves to keep our uh, sleeping bags and our suitcases and so on. So he can't see us. He's asleep in the back of the bus. And we're in the front. We go, okay, this is the time. This is it. When when he comes out, when Norton comes out from the back, it's on. <laughs> Mr. Hampton, sitting in front of the bus, he turns around and he says, you guys are not going to do this. You're afraid of Norton. Talk about throwing a match on gasoline. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So, poor Norton, he walks up from the back of the bus, he's awake, and the second he passes the plywood shelving, he gets jumped. (laughs) (laughs) He is fighting, he's slugging, he's kicking, he's biting, he's just fighting like crazy. But we take him down and we give him a pink belly. (laughs) We come to the painted desert. He would not get out of the bus. He sat in the bus and he sulked. He refused to come out of the bus to see the painted desert. Oh. And we were just like,
5: yes! <laughs> <laughs> mission know,
0: accomplished.
5: Yeah, mission accomplished. See, this is what happened. Oh, you never you did anything stupid in high school. Oh no! I'm sure you never did anything stupid in high school. No, no, never. Me never. I mean, uh, I <laughs> never did anything stupid. You put high school boys... <laughs> In a okay. Bus well, I got to tell you about for my- a month and a half. Yes. You know what? Do you, what do you expect? Uh huh. Well, yeah. Something's going to happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> something's going to happen for sure. Okay. Well, I'll tell you about my Washington D.C. trip because this one's kind of a classic. Um, I'm not on the trip. The Trip leaves. Uh, I am in charge of the concession stand for the summer, so I'm running the concession stand. Um. So. I decide, okay, what do we make the most profit on? Slushes. So I'm going to push slushes. I'm going to make a slush of the day, kind of thing. And I'm having a great time running the concession stand. One evening, around seven thirty, Mister Francis Ostergard comes up to me and he says, "Okay, Mister Lee, uh, they need you to go to the trip." I go, "What? They need you to go to the trip?" Mister Coulter has been driving the camper, and he got too close to a. Tr- truck and clipped this mirror on the side of the camper on this truck and so he's not going to drive anymore we need you to go back and drive the camper okay and we already have your ticket for your flight you're flying out of LAX tonight at 1130 so you need to go home and pack (laughs) I'm like oh okay now this is before cell phone Well, it was before, you know, this is when to communicate, you had to get on a telephone and call, you know, call, collect, or whatever. So Mr. Icigar tells me, okay, when you get to Washington, D.C., the trip's not going to know where you are, so call me, and then the trip is going to call here, and I'll tell them where you are so they can pick you up. Okay, but D.C. is three hours ahead of us, so don't call before nine because that'll be six o'clock here i'll be here by six you can call then okay fine so i go home i pack i got my sleeping bag got my clothes bag i got my duffel bag with you know your wash up stuff and all the other stuff and then they say oh yeah and the trip's running low on booklets so we want you to carry this bag as well full of booklets so i got all these bags so i arrive in dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. Dulles Airport is not in Washington, D.C. It's about a 45-minute drive out of Washington, (laughs) D.C. I got to get into D.C. So I start walking along, asking every bus driver, because there's all these buses out there, where do you go? Where does this bus go? And one guy says, oh, I go to F and 10th. And I go, okay, F and 10th. I kind of know where that is. I've been to D.C. on other trips. So I'll ride this bus. So I take that bus in. I get off. So I'm there with all this stuff. He said, eh, this is just a boring corner. I'm going to just walk. So I pick up all this stuff, and I'm walking. I walk, and I, after a few blocks, I find myself at Forge Theater. Okay, this is cool. There's a little cafe across the street. I can get something to eat, get some breakfast. So I go in there, buy breakfast. Now, I can't go home yet because it's too early. Because it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and I can't call till 9. So I go in. I get a Reader's Digest. I go outside. And I'm sitting out there. On 9 o'clock rolls around. I call Mr. Ostergaard's there right on time. I tell him where I am. Sitting right across the street from Ford's Theater. It should be really simple to find me. Okay, no problem. So I sit there. I'm reading. It's 10 o'clock. 11 o'clock rolls around. It's noon. (laughs) I'm still (laughs) sitting there. I'm like, what's going on? Forget about me. Like, what is happening? Yeah, I'm sitting here by myself on a corner. I've been here now for like, let's see, noon. I got here. I've been here for five hours and I'm just sitting here. Does anybody know what's going on? Really? And now I'm thinking, I'm going in my mind and go, okay, well, I do have a Visa card in my wallet. I could always catch another flight and get back home. I'm not really totally stranded.
6: <laughs>
0: anyway, around 1 30 in the afternoon, something like that, the trip bus comes around the corner. I'm like, finally. And it's a girls' trip. So the bus is full of girls. Mr. Dowd's driving the bus, Mr. Hampton's in front, Mr. Coulter's there. They swing around the corner, and as they come around the corner, they're looking for a place to park. And so they're going to park right there by the curb where I am. And all these girls are on the bus and they're looking on, They go, "Whoa, hey, there's Mr. Lee," and they all start waving. Like, <laughs> what's he doing here in Washington D.C.? Matt, <laughs> 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 yeah, they weren't coming to pick me up. They were coming right. to tour
5: Forest Theater. Wow! Just. Sheer chance, sheer coincidence. <laughs> I do not know when they were planning to pick me up.
0: They seriously were coming to tour Force Forest Theatre, and there I am. So <laughs> that's my most classic story of all
6: time. <laughs> or the craziest one, I guess. So,
5: yeah. Wow, that is impressive. Uh, <laughs> that, that is... What are the chances, right? Uh, very crazy stuff. Exactly. What are the, what are the odds of that? Like. No haystack. Yeah. Yeah. They could have been going to the
0: Jefferson Memorial.
5: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's, a, here's a, a couple, a couple we're, Uh, we're chatting a while here. <laughs> hey, I got nowhere to be. This is great. Uh, where, where uh, let's see. Uh, okay. He said, John told me you, you pitched in Nashville in front of uh family front front of some of your Tennessee family. What's that story?
0: Oh yeah. I did. Um okay. This is probably around nineteen fifty-eight. I'm gonna I I'm almost certain it's nineteen fifty-eight. So like my, my junior year in high school, whatever. Uh we were playing baseball around the country and We were coming to Nashville, Tennessee. It was really cool because that was the coolest thing ever. We actually had a motorcycle escort into the city with the flashing lights and everything in front of our bus. We went and met the mayor of the city. He gave us the key to the city. These people took us out to this park where there were tables covered with food, just tons of food. And then the next day was going to be the baseball game. Well, it was Gary Lonnie's turn to pitch, but he got sick. And that game, he ended up sitting in the bus, holding a plastic bucket in his lap the entire game. <laughs> so I got to pitch and all my relatives came to see the game because it was in Nashville. So that was the coolest thing ever. I got to pitch in front of all my cousins and, aunts and uncles and everything. So that's pretty cool. Great wow. experience.
5: What a, what a special uh, moment.
0: That was very special. A game that I really remember really well pitching in was in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, in Oklahoma as well, but Jacksonville, Florida, it was hot in the summertime and humid. Ooh. And Mr. Hampton insisted you were a pitcher. You had to wear an under jersey under your baseball shirt. Like,
5: you know, three-quarter, please, whatever. Because you had to keep your arm warm, your pitcher, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We had these
0: nylon windbreakers. Oh. So we dressed in the bus. No air conditioning back then. <laughs> this is before we had the air conditioned bus. So it's you're getting dressed in the bus it's hot, it's humid, you're sweating already, you haven't even done anything. And now, because he wants everyone to look the same as we come out of the bus, you're going to wear these red nylon windbreakers. So we have those on as well. Come out of the bus. So the thing I remember about that game is that before I even started to warm up, water is dripping off the end of my nose. I'm like, it's not going to be hard to warm up for this game. No, nope. <laughs> my arm was so loose, I felt like I could throw any pitch, and it's not going to hurt. I'm not going to feel a thing.
5: <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, but fun. <laughs> Florida, oh, yeah, Florida Florida's awful <laughs> weather-wise. Anyway, I pitched. In,
0: uh, yeah, I pitched in Enid, Oklahoma, at night. A night game. And Eden, Oklahoma was kind of like a little hotbed of uh, baseball in that part of the country. And they had a tournament going on all day where different teams were playing. And we were like the grand finale game because we're this team from California. Well, these games kept going later and longer and longer. And, you know, baseball doesn't have like a time limit on it. You play by innings. (laughs) So our game, and it didn't start until about 1030 at night <laughs> and it started drizzling. And oh. so the thing I remember was just the the clay in Oklahoma would just stick to your cleats. So you, you were constantly scraping the clay off of your cleats and asking <laughs> for a new ball, <laughs> a dry ball. Yeah. yeah but, oh, oh uh, man. that being that age, being that age, it was so much fun. It's like oh, yeah. it's Christmas time.
5: <laughs> oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Every day traveling and being young and oh, you take it for granted at the time, but yeah, looking back, man, wow. Uh, I gotta ask you this one. Yeah, this one, John, John uh, threw at me, trying of for a loop. Uh, he said something about a scar, scar on the on the on the back of your neck. He says there's two stories. There's a true story and then a untrue story that maybe. Uh, was more for for fun or whatever, and and he said that uh, legendary coach Randall Johnson uh, actually corroborated with you to to uh, make the story more believable. So if you would, if you're willing to, to tell the secret of uh, what is true and untrue, what what did uh, you guys say was uh, the reasoning for for the uh, the scar? Okay, I will tell the true story first, and then the. Untrue story segment. Okay. The true story is when my sophomore year in high school, I had a brain tumor. Now, mind you,
0: I played football that year. I played basketball. And I can specifically remember in basketball, going for a rebound and looking up, and everything just started spinning, like dizzy. And it was just the weirdest, weirdest feeling. By baseball season, uh, if I closed my eyes, I would literally fall over. Oh. Because the brain tumor was on the uh astro it was, it was an astrocytoma, but it was on the medulla in the pons, which is the part of your brain that controls your balance and your coordination. And I was pitching and I can specifically remember going to put my foot on the rubber and I actually missed the rubber. And it was like, whoa, what's going on? So there's all these weird things. And then Mr. Hampton, my coach, started noticing, you know, that I kept holding the back of my head and I kept doing these weird things. I said, something's wrong. So my parents took me to the doctor. They did some tests. And the next thing I knew, I'm in Huntington Hospital, <laughs> and uh, fortunately for me, my doctor is uh, was named Doctor uh, C. Hunter Sheldon, and he was the head of the Neurological Society West of the Mississippi. I wow. had the top doctor on the West Coast because this is before lasers. This is before, uh, brain, you know, cat scans and all that stuff. I didn't know that I had a brain. Tr- I didn't know what was wrong with me. One day they come in, they give me a shot, put me to sleep. Next thing I know, I'm awake in bed. My head has been shaved. My head is bandaged. It's is coming down the, my back. So I can't even turn my head. There's two tubes coming out of the back of my head, draining fluids off and I am immobile and I missed the whole last quarter of school. I went in the day before Easter and I don't know for sure how long I was in the hospital, but it was a really long time. And when finally uh, they came to get me out of bed, uh, I literally could not stand. My legs had atrophied to the point where I could not stand. And they had to do therapy. Anyway, so that was my brain tumor. That's the true reason there's a scar on the back of my neck. Now, I'm the Atlantic bus driver, and kids are always asking for stories. So one day, I said, okay, I'll tell a story. So I just totally... Off the top of my head, I come up with this name, The Orangutan's Toe. sounded cool. Story where uh, I was a a newspaper reporter, and I put Mr. Johnson into into the story as being my partner, the other newspaper reporter,
5: and we were down in Borneo because that's where orangutans are, is in Borneo. Where's Borneo? So we're in Borneo
0: and we and we discover these uh archaeologists and we figure out that they're going for this treasure and so forth. So I won't tell the story because it's a really long story. I drugged this thing out for like a long time. I just kept, you know, running into uh leeches in the river and poisonous snakes and just, you know, uh, boy constrictors and rhinoceros and elephants. And just all kinds of things, but and uh, uh, these uh, wild uh, natives that uh, headhunters, headhunters. But we finally get to the cave, and we finally we find the treasure, and everybody ends up getting killed except for Mr. Johnson and myself, and we escape and we get back, and but we don't have the treasure, and so the way I tell the story is, yeah. Uh, We always think one of these days we'll get somebody to get us and we'll fly down in a helicopter and we'll fly over all these dangerous areas and we'll get to that cave and we'll get that treasure. Anyway, so that's the story. So I tell it. So then I get the idea, Mr. Johnson's the Indian bus driver. I'm going to tell Mr. Johnson uh, this story. So I tell him. So he starts telling it on the Indian bus. (laughs) <laughs> so, i pull in the atlantic bus i get out the indian bus pulls in and all these indian kids come running up to me are you mr lee are you mr lee I go, yeah yeah they go. oh can we see it? do you really have a scar on the back of your neck I go, yeah i really do you want to see it so i show him the scar and i go oh man mr is telling the truth this is awesome
5: that's <laughs> why <laughs> that's that is incredible i love it that's well, our, our connection was getting a little choppy there. And I,
6: and I would always tell it's, yeah. Anyway, it was it was fun.
5: Oh, what was the um, – sorry, the connection's getting a little weird here. What, what was the – would you say the orangutan's toe, what was that? Oh, well,
0: the thing is these guys had a, a little golden statue of an orangutan monkey, and they had a clue. The clue was the orangutan's toe. So when they get into this cave – it's like this big giant room with like about a twenty foot high ceiling, and there's these seven statues of the orangutan monkey out of stone, carved out of stone. And there's no treasure, so mm-hmm. like, well, this is a bummer. So I go over and I lean up against the big toe of one of the these statues, and it moves. And of course, it opens a secret passageway, and we get into where the treasure is. Okay. So that's <laughs> yeah. That's where the orangutan's toe comes in.
5: Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure it was all connected. So, it, it was was it,
0: connected.
6: Don't
5: worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so what was I the have act- sent? What? Me, what? Sorry, sorry. This delay is killing us a little bit I, here. Oh, I know. Oh, uh, it's okay. We'll finish up soon. But what was the specific uh, injury? I guess that in the story where you got the scar, or was it just? Uh oh, it was from a rhinoceros. Oh <laughs> wow.
6: <laughs> I barely escaped with my life.
0: Mr. Johnson saved me. <laughs> he shot the rhino.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is incredible. I love it. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, oh man, I, I love the story care usually. You can't say enough. Uh this is the one I wanna end on. If we can, our connection's kind of getting choppy here. I do apologize to the listeners. Uh, sure. but, uh, okay. Whether you want to tell it or not, uh, John told me there was a couple of, uh, we'll say near, uh, post-game fights, not only at Chadwick, but at Frontridge Prep also. Uh, if, if, hey, if you want to keep those top secret, that's fine. But I, that kind of jumped off the page to me about a couple almost, uh, fights um, after games. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know if it was almost or not, but and I do not remember anything about Flint Ridge. Okay, so I think John's making that one up. <laughs> but uh, Chadwick was the real basketball game at Chadwick. The the Chadwick coach actually shoved one of our players oh.
6: during the game. Oh. Oh. I mean,
5: during a timeout, kind of whatever. Um, it was my quite side. And I just saw that and it's was just like, dude, that is a punk thing to do. Yeah.
0: And so the game's over. Their coach is walking out of the gym and I'm there with my wife. Thank goodness. <laughs> 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 and I just, I just pop off at this guy and it's like, wow, you're a really big man. You know, you pushed a high school kid around. Wow. Tough guy something like that. And so then he starts mouthing off back to me. My wife is grabbing my arm. Dear, what are you, let's go. Let's get out of here. What are you doing? (laughs) Nothing happened.
5: Just, just words. words.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I just thought it was such, I just thought it was such a punk thing to do.
5: Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely was. Uh, You know what? But in you telling that story, I gotta tell you, Mr. Lee, you sound exactly like one of your sons, uh, Bill Lee, in that situation. I think that's where Bill gets it from. Uh yeah. The difference is Bill probably would have taken
0: the punch. <laughs> 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 oh, I know his I the Flintridge story just popped into my head. Oh. I know the Flintridge story now. Okay. This is a basketball game at Flint Ridge and Ken was playing during the Did you remember Steve Ammon? Yes. Or did you Bob, know Steve Ammon? I knew hey, a Gator, great Gator. Okay, well he was he was in junior high at the time and somehow during the game he walked over to the restroom or whatever and two Flintridge kids took his basketball away from him. So Steve comes back to the bleachers or whatever and he says this happened. So John and Bill get up because they've already graduated. They walk over into the Flint Ridge locker room area and take the ball back. Get it back. I don't know how that all happened. I wasn't there, but they got the ball back. That's all I know. So Stephen gets his ball. Okay, the game ends. People are going out to the bus, the parking lot. Ken goes to the bus. He realizes he's left his Letterman jacket in the gym. So. But he runs back to the gym. The bus leaves. Parking lots clear clearing out. So as Ken comes walking back out of the gym with his jacket, there's about seven Flintridge guys standing at the doorway kind of blocking it. Like, yeah, they want something to happen. Well, Ken basically ignores them, just kind of walks to them. But they follow him all the way to our car. So the back of the car is open. Ken's putting the basketballs in and his jacket and so forth. And these guys are obviously looking for trouble. They're mouthing off to Ken and they want to start a fight. So Bill
6: gets out of the car.
0: I go, Bill, get back in the car. Just get in the car, Ken. We're leaving. So we all get in the car. And this one guy is right up to the window and the window's open. Bill reaches out the window, grabs the guy's arm, and janks him almost into the car. <laughs> and I'm like, Bill,
6: <laughs> I
0: we're not going to have a fight here in the parking lot with these idiots. <laughs> we're leaving. <laughs> so we did. We drove off. And, the, and by this time, there's no one else there. Everyone else is gone. We're like almost the only car in the parking lot. I go, oh, great! So oh. we we left. That was that was the near fight, I guess. For <laughs> at least that's the only thing I can think
5: of. Yeah. Well, oh, I, I bet you that was probably it. If we <laughs> unless there's <was> another. <laughs> so those Lee boys, I got to tell you, Mister Lee, those are your those are your boys, and uh, God bless them, man. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, always ready to fight. I love it. Always ready. Not, not starting a fight, but definitely finishing fights. That's uh no, we weren't starting. They weren't starting that one, but Mm-mm. Bill was ready to finish it. <laughs> it's not the first time and it won't be the last with, uh, no. Bill. <laughs> sure. Well, Mr. Lee, this has been an absolute pleasure. I can't believe we've talked for almost an hour 45 here. Um, just sharing so many memories, so many stories. I mean, there's, there's things we didn't even touch on. I mean, uh, you were the superintendent of. Of Hampton Hall, the Hampton Hall building project. Um, that's something just incredibly proud to be proud of. Um, I know for most of us know Hampton Hall has always been there, but I remember a time when it wasn't there. And, you know, that's a tribute to you and so many other people uh, who made that dream a reality. Um, but I, I appreciate you coming on the program and sharing stories. I could hear so many more of these stories. Uh, but, uh, fortunately we must wrap it up here. At some point, um, thank you for your time. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for the math classes, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the the competition as a kid. And just, uh, I'm just thank you for, for a million things. And it was an absolute pleasure catching up with you. And I hope your, your sons and your grandkids can hear this, uh, and really, uh, just enjoy it, enjoy it forever because this, this conversation has been a lot of fun on my end.
0: Oh, it's it's been a lot of fun on my end, too, Matt. I really appreciate it. I want to say one one last thing before we sign off, because I remember you as a uh, fifth grader. I refereed one of your games, so I was an innocent bystander in this one. I wasn't a, a coaching against you. <laughs> I just remember you were a linebacker, and I was just listening to you talk on defense. And I was thinking, this kid knows what the other team is going to run before they run it. He is really sharp in football. He really gets it. <laughs> so that's an early memory of you I could throw in there.
5: <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I must have been breaking down game film and, yeah, learning tendencies. Oh, I missed that stuff. Yeah, a so young age. That's Wow, that takes me back now. Yeah. I had to know. Anytime you put just <laughs> any time you put Justin Bipilaki in the slot, I knew a counter was coming. See, I still remember that. I knew, <laughs> I knew what you were gonna do before you did it. I mean, that's just learning yeah. as I go. <laughs> that's oh, right. oh, that's Mr. exactly Lee. right. Oh, so much fun. Well, thank you again. Uh, I hope your sons and the family enjoys this, and I know plenty of people will, will tune in and really appreciate all the fun memories and stories. All right. Thanks again, Matt. Enjoy the rest of your day. I will enjoy mine. Sounds great, Mr. Lee. Thank you. Talk to you soon. You bet.
1: Well, it was an incredible honor to have Mr. Lee on the program today. I can't think of a better way to celebrate our 200th episode than to have an incredible man like Mr. John Lee Sr. on the program and uh man what a, what an honor what a what a privilege it was to hear uh from him and to hear the kind words he had for me and uh, just all the the stories i mean what can you say the memories uh the kind the, just all the things he the, all the stories he said about his his boys uh, his his wife mrs lee uh, just just an incredible conversation one of my favorites uh by far and if my audio had only been a little bit better i think Uh, I would have felt a whole lot better about all this. But anyway, thank you for bearing with me, guys. Um, Of course, trying to do something nice, something wonderful. And of course, something's got to go wrong, right? But hey, that's life. We get through it. And uh, again, Mr. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you so much, not just for coming on the program today, but for everything. Uh, that you have done the tremendous example you have been to so many people Uh, the role model model, you have been to your your sons they are all uh, all three of them incredible men themselves now and they are just passing it passing it on down being carrying on your example and, uh, man, we, we, we got to find a way to, to sit down and have some of those those tacos soon. I don't know who's going to make them. If it's, uh, uh you know, John Lee Jr.'s wife or or we can all have a, a Lee gathering. I mean, I'm in. Wh- wherever it's got to be, I'm in for uh, a Lee family family reunion somewhere, someplace, just, just so we can have these tacos. I mean, it's got to happen. And uh, in all seriousness, I would love to see everyone at some point uh, when things settle down here. Uh, But a tremendous love to the Lee family, all the boys, uh, all the grandkids, Mr. Lee himself. I can't say it enough. Uh, Just an absolute privilege and an honor to have him on the program and say so many uh, kind words and share so many memories. Uh, I enjoyed it very much, and I hope everyone else did out there as well. Okay, what a way to uh, ring in our 200th episode. I can't say it enough. That was a lot of fun. We'll have to put something together really big for our 300th episode. We have some time to think about it and to... Uh, make it happen but man our 100th episode was a uh, a a tribute to Ken Drain uh, with all of his former players we got uh, Mr. Lee here on our 200th episode uh, incredible storyteller and then I mean who knows the the Get Home Safe podcast is alive and well guys with uh, these milestone uh, episodes and many many more so for those of you new to the program, you can go back and listen to any of these episodes. They're there forever. And that's what makes the beauty of the podcast, right, is being able to listen to these uh, over time. But if uh, you were looking for new episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast, you can find new ones on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Again, Fridays is kind of our main event where we interview a new person weekly and then Wednesdays and, and Mondays are kind of set uh, in some other format. But Fridays are a lot of fun and I look forward to... Uh, doing this again next week and the week after and the week after. We're, we're gaining some momentum here, and this is just a, a lot of fun. So anyway, a long episode today, guys, but I think it was well worth it. Uh, guys, the Get Home Safe podcast can be followed on social media. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod, and our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. Our email address is gethomesafepodcast at yahoo.com. Give us a like, give us a follow. You can find all episodes posted on our social media as well. So uh, we appreciate the support and we love seeing people comment on social media. Uh, We post pictures the the night before of uh, our Friday episodes and such, just so you know who's coming on the program. That part is a lot of fun to uh, get the feedback from everybody. And if you'd like to send us an email, please do so. Whether it be a question, content suggestion, you just want to say hello, whatever the case is, we would love to hear from you guys. So please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you just like you hear from us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at the Get Home Safe podcast. Okay, if you're not ready for the weekend by now, uh, man, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, That was a great way to get us around 3rd and home safe for the weekend. Really excited now. I feel like I can do anything. I'm ready to uh, go make some memories of my own, if you will, after hearing all those great stories. So guys, uh, please have a great, safe weekend out there. Uh, I hope uh, you enjoyed the program and I hope you enjoy all our episodes. I hope you'll be back with us on Monday as I have some strong opinions about some of the news and events that have been going on, maybe some sports topics as well. Uh, That'll be my plan for next week alongside uh, alongside also having a Wednesday and Friday show, but uh, that will be the next time you hear us on Monday. I hope you will join us. Thank you for joining us again today. But guys, as always, whether you're out on the town or round in third base, get home safe.